how do you make comics without all the frustration, without feeling lousy and inadequate all the time? Join me, Jess Rolofson, and me, Tom Hart, on The Terrible Anvil. Each week, we build community and shift our mindset about what it means to make comics and art. We're working through the whole process, one piece at a time, turning our suffering and angst into fun and glee. Join us at sawcomics.org. We're ready. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, how do we start? Um, I'm Tom Hart. This is Sequential Artist Workshop. My name's Jess Rulofson. I'm also with the Sequential Artist Workshop. And we'll probably have some <laughs> proper intro later or something. Um, uh, welcome to everybody uh, at SAW who uh, are attending. Um, what's going on is that Jess and I love talking about um, comics, but more importantly, we love talking about the process of making them. And even more importantly, we love to talk about uh, the feelings that arise while, during the process of making them. So, and uh, um, so th that's that's what this is. Um, it's also, and especially actually, uh, a, a chance for, um, uh, I've asked Jess to write a book, which is she's already written basically, but we're just organizing it or something, right? And that that is gonna be called The Bootlegger's Guide to Comics. And I'll let you talk about that later. Anyway, so we're here just to talk about comics process and what the heck goes on when you're trying to make one and why it feels so lousy, I guess. And um, we've asked for some questions prior to this in, in, the, in our network. And also we're inviting people to ask questions in the chat. So that's my introduction. Jess, what did I miss and and how do how do we how do we go from here? Um, I think you touched on the major points. Uh, it, everything Tom said is true, and I'm including a link in the chat to um, the most recent post that sort of summarizes some of the uh, questions or comments we got in answer to our question for the very first terrible anvil episode. What part of comics is the hardest? Uh, and Surprisingly, no one said all of it. <laughs> Someone was like, I actually like all of it. It's XYZ that's tricky. So uh, each week we try to pick on a theme that is already sort of somewhat existing in the book. So we already kind of have some topics in mind. And then hopefully uh, uh, Tom or I will like kind of follow up in the network to get more pointed um, questions from the audience. So like Tom said, there's different ways to participate. You can um, throw comments in the chat if you're available to attend a podcast in real time. Um, but if you're not, you can always throw in um, questions if you're part of the Flow Network uh, on the Sequential Artist Workshop Mighty Network. So, um, so we wanted to just, well, I'm not sure what we wanted. You always have, I think, I feel like I, I sort of ask around for what the heck we're talking about and then you just sort of nail it a lot of times so um are we talking about the broader picture like why do we make comics or are we talk what should we be talking about today well uh, i'm glad you brought up like feelings earlier because <laughs> it's not something that like i feel like it sounds very professional <laughs> uh like you want to keep your feelings yourself as a professional cartoonist in a way but it's so funny because a lot of comics uh kind of deal explicitly with uh unpacking some of this stuff for the reader um so 
I think in thinking about what what part of comics is the hardest, it is, I, I do think the structure of it is like we kind of take a big view and then go uh, more specific, but um, but I hesitate to like throw my preconceived structure on <laughs> on what we might talk about. Should we just go down the list? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, and I was also trying to look to see if maybe people had the same question. Um, a few of us think that the hardest thing is drawing. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Tom? <laughs> is drawing really, really hard? Heavy sigh, radio silence. Um, <laughs> drawing. <laughs> um, I, I might take a pass on that question. Yeah, I mean, I find drawing very hard. I was never a natural at it, and it was, and it's always the most difficult. But again, it's not quote the drawing. Mm -hmm. It's it's the drawing to match my expectations. You know. Yeah. Like I kind of like drawing, but it's when I expect something out of it that I don't like it. So that's what I got. Yeah, that's super good. And I, I'm glad you said it that way because I feel like this is going to tie into a later question that's on the list uh, that I was thinking about expectation. <laughs> There's that meme that's like uh, how it started and how it's going. <laughs> it feels like that where, oh, this is going to be great. And then you're like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, drawing for me also, um, that's sort of been a big part of the bootlegger idea, I guess. Like, And someone on, in the comments was like, what is what is bootleggers? What does this mean? Bootleggers guide. And it's hard for me to enunciate and say that correctly. It sounds like I'm saying I'm going to lick your boots. <laughs> but it means like, what's like the, and Tom kind of paraphrased, he's like, what's the like illegal version of this? And I, I was thinking on the way to the library, there a, a public bus went by and it said, uh, get your degree in as little as XYZ months in like uh, healthcare, which I shouldn't laugh, but my husband's a nurse. So I was like, oh, that will go really well. But I think there's this idea of uh, licensure. Like when I do XYZ, I'll become an official bona fide cartoonist and sort of um, sweetly and mildly sort of jokey, but sort of serious. Uh, Saw sends out your real cartoonist cards to some of our year long. I think it's a year long program, isn't it, Tom? Um, I can't. I think it's a graphic novel program, actually. Maybe it's a graphic novel program. So we have a graphic novel intensive program that lasts six months from June to November, and uh, and I think at the start of the program, if you sign up and you give us your mailing address, we won't spam you, but we send you a card that says you're a real card carrying cartoonist now. You're bona fide, um, kind of before you begin the work, which is sort of amazing. So I think we've internalized this idea of like I have to do X Y Z to be real and I think that's a big reason why I uh went and got my master's in creative writing because I'm like I'm not a real writer until I get this and I don't feel like a real writer still but I have a degree and I could probably shrink it down and laminate it and carry it around but um yeah so so like I think a difficulty that's tied into the expectations right like uh a real cartoonist does xyz and we you know we have our taste like maybe we're comparing ourselves to other cartoonists. Um, right. But a lot of it, I think, is a comparison to the beautiful vision that's in our head. And then we're like, wait, this doesn't, right. this doesn't look like the photo from the recipe book. <laughs> <laughs> or it doesn't look like all the books at Barnes and Noble or, or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't bottom. look like any book ever before. And I think that's, I think we can leverage the things that are weird. Uh, and that, that might be the good part is the part that doesn't look like anything else. 
but it's uh, uncomfortable. Leverage the things that are weird. Every once in a while, I start writing down Jessism. So that's going to be my first thing. Yeah, but Tom sounds like he's going into a trance. It's just because he's <laughs> writing down something I said. He found a note the other day that said, ideas are like frogs. And he's like, what does that mean? And I was like, I don't remember. I was like, I think it means that they're slippery. That they kind of hop away. Like oh. there's a lot of frogs all over the table. Those are I, ideas. I do think that's what that was. I, I want to draw that now. <laughs> all right. So, so you don't need a license to make comics. No. Um, you don't need a license to draw or write or anything right but we've we've internalized and maybe it's just us who have some foot in the late 20th century <laughs> that that feel that way um maybe it's not i don't know but but you don't need a license and you also you don't need a license to to put it out there you don't need a license to say it's done you don't need a license to say i like it anyway i don't know it's just it's so surprising to me because i certainly grew up thinking like there was a society that you might be let into eventually in fact it's called the national cartoonist society you know <laughs> which i was never are you a member can we no. start our own like group and be like give everyone permission I, to join? <laughs> no start our own we start our own started our own group here so yeah. So what's what's next if we've covered that topic? Well, well, so it's all kind of related. Uh, so the idea of like gatekeeping, and maybe we could revisit drawing again because I feel like sometimes we're like, oh, ha, 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 it's this is an easy answer. I think drawing is always going to be hard, and um, you have to hold hands with the hard parts and be like, we're going together, you and I. This thing I don't like, and I'm gonna uh, extract joy out of it, hopefully. And there are different ways to do that, but some of the other things that people are talking about, um, Uli and also Sarah had mentioned uh uli says it like this the hardest part of making comics is convincing people that the thing you want to tell is worth telling so first identifying who the people are i think in this context uli's been um putting their work out there for um grants and and getting some type of funding so we want to be acknowledged for the geniuses that we are by society of large whoever wants to give us praise that's good but also money is really nice so like how do i keep this thing going and and keep it uh, being funded. So I think there's a foot in reality there. It's not just an ego thing. And then Sarah had said, um, again, the worst part is drawing, <laughs> but also uh, feeling driven to tell these stories that I'm not sure people really want to hear. So identifying who the people are, like who do you think doesn't wanna hear it and what about it don't they wanna hear? I think these things are related to our discomfort with like what our vision is versus what it looks like on paper in that first draft. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, uh, I've got two random comments. Maybe you can, you can riff on that. And one is that, first of all, I love that you, you said something like, who are these people that don't want to hear it? Right. I, like a lot of times you, you hear people say, identify who your audience is, you know, or, or who your the people are. And it's interesting to say, to ask who, who are these people you don't think, you know, don't want to hear your ideas. And, and then I guess the next step is figure out how to ignore them, right? And and then and then find the people that do. And and again, I I not to not to toot the horn of saw too much, but that's one thing I I think we've created here, which is an audience um, of like-minded people who want to read each other's stories. And and that I I often point to that when that question comes up. It's like who wants to read? It's like I do. So and so over there does. So and so over there does. And and believe me, I know from from firsthand experience like you know uh, 
less than five readers who read it closely it means so much <laughs> it feels so good you know uh but i also i also wanted to comment that uh on the reality part of it you know austin cleon who is a great creator and a great advocate for everybody being an artist but he also he's a bit of a um he has a bit of a slightly antagonistic attitude towards the idea of monetizing everything and he says like um you know, as soon as you make something, you make a, you know, you, you make a mug, oh, I've got a blurt, or you write a poem or something, you know, somebody says, oh, you should have an Etsy store, you should, <laughs> you, you know, you should, and then immediately it becomes like, how can I monetize it? And he says, yeah, do some things for love. And, um, you know, I don't know if Saw is that space, or maybe we're both spaces, because we do sort of help people, like, we'll help you get published and, and find the broadest audience you can. But we're also like, or at least I am, I'm like, don't worry about it. Just do it for love. <laughs> anyway, um, I I think my purpose, at least in this in this dialogue, is to encourage people to find the part of it that they like to do. Um, so I don't know if I made a big tangle out of your thoughts there or not. No, I think that's really good. And I, I'm riffing on your riff. I feel like we're like a very cool jazz duo right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I was, I wrote down, land and uh, back into a, back into a groove though, is the question. Like, yeah, I know. We're, we're like, we're just freestyling right now. We're warming up. Uh, is this thing on? Are we recording? Um, <laughs> thanks for being here, everybody. Um, so when Tom was talking, I, I wrote down, um, how to cherish without monetization. <laughs> So it's like, uh, so sometimes I'll say something out loud. Our The way our apartment's set up, um, it's really long and the rooms coming off of other rooms because it's it's a chunk of a bottom part of a house and it doesn't make any sense. And it was probably built a hundred years ago. And my husband and I are never in the same room, <laughs> but we have conversations at great length. And we're like, where are you? And so I'll just shout something and he'd be like, that's really good. That's really, really good. You should write that, write that down. And we have a little tiny book we're calling the bean book because we refer to thoughts as beans. We call them bean dots. I don't, it's very silly, but he's like, write it in the bean book with this idea that like later we'll look at it and find a way to monetize it. And we'll be like world famous comedians or cartoonists. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing with the bean book, but um, but there is a, a, an acknowledgement in that moment of like, wow, that's so good. You should write it down, which is also why I hang out with Tom virtually as often as possible. I guess I just, all my friends, if you write down something I say, I'll be like, oh, I'm just keeping them forever. I love them. But uh, but but I think that's tied into like an acknowledgement of the good of, of the idea itself and being excited about it and tucking it away and then figuring out why you like that and making sure you keep having a conversation with yourself about like why you like that versus why will my audience like that? I think if you're just really obsessed with something and then you go over to somebody and start talking about whatever Wikipedia wormhole you just fell down, like some of that's contagious. Like I, I think there's, I think if whatever's hypnotizing us, once we start talking about it, some of that stuff is like hard to deny if you get it in front of people who understand what it is you're trying to say. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So be hypnotized by your own idea. And... Yeah. Without being like, well, I don't know. It's, it's hard when you make stuff because you do want to have one foot in reality because you do want to connect with people. But um, but you also have to give yourself enough space to love what you love and and make what you make and then worry about how it's it's like uh, writing a letter before you know who you're 
sending it to. <laughs> you've got it. Uh, you've got the stamp on it, and you're like, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get this in the mail now that I've finished it. But you're like, well, who is this for? So it's always a hard question to ask. Do you write the question, who is this for, before mm. you start writing, or after you write your letter? Like, it's a little tricky. Um, but I think we do have an audience in mind. Maybe our first audience is ourself or an internal critic or the good guy, whatever the opposite of the internal critic is. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I was curious about um, what Sarah was asking about, like, who doesn't want to hear this? Like, um, how do I get over? And there's also a, kind of an aspect of gatekeeping there. Like, that's a real thing. Like, only certain things get published, you know, you have to be a certain level of crazy slash affluent <laughs> to spend some of your time making something that doesn't make any money while you're making it. Um, so there's there's certainly like built-in structures that are hard and we push against those things. Um, um, but I was thinking, I, I, <laughs> well, this is, this is the paraphrase of Sarah's full comment. So for me, the worst part is drawing, but also feeling driven to tell stories that I'm not sure people really want to hear. So then I end up in a morass of despair, a classic location for cartoonists, the morass of despair, because I feel like I must do this. But then because I'm not sure anyone really wants to hear what I have to say, I also feel cringy and vulnerable. So there's this like state of, um, so my immediate response to Sarah that I wrote to myself was imagine a version that could be worse. <laughs> like, I think in our head, we're like, oh, this is really bad. But I'll like, invite yourself to picture a version that's even worse, like explicitly something you would never do, like um, sexist or racist or backwards or uh, just something that's against what you stand for, right? Like that, those are good, clear examples. Um, unless you're really <laughs> into those things. <laughs> you mean an example of that idea or that, that the project that she wants to make? Well, I don't know. Like, I think it comes up a lot with graphic memoir, uh, particularly stuff that's um, maybe trauma-based or um, hyper-specific. I, 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 when I was interviewing veterans, a lot of them were like happy to talk about their experiences, but would hesitate to do it in a comparative way. And if they did, they would say, uh, "Someone always had it worse. So why would I? Why would I frame this in a context of like suffering at all? I just need to get over it." Um, so I think some of that's coming to play, but I don't know if there's like a specific thing. Um, I, I don't think we do. I don't think we have the same line of thought when we're making like a batch of cookies. We're like, everybody loves, loves cookies. I'll eat them if no one else eats them. <laughs> like, uh, but we're not like, oh, who's going to read this? And uh, will anyone like it? But I like the idea of like thinking about a worse version. The other thing, maybe not the content. So let's say maybe not a racist version. That's a really weird, terrible example. <laughs> but uh but think about artists that you don't like that are out there making money and publishing stuff I don't know some of these people I don't know the talent is really a thing that's you know you're more talented than xyz you can tell yourself whoever whoever your like artistic nemesis is I know none of this is healthy <laughs> you have to peer review this with your therapist but um but you could tell yourself at least I'm not that guy or that guy made xyz think of the worst movie you've ever seen that exists people paid to watch it did they paid money to make it and it happened like you you can make things happen um there's also people tell us stuff all the time that we're not interested in hearing this is a hyper specific again I, I don't mean to trash anybody but hyper specific cultural example that probably won't age really well but right now Will Smith's wife Jada Pinkett Smith 
has made a career out of talking about how terrible her marriage is and remains married to Will Smith, but she talks about it all the time. No one asked, but she still talks about it. So I do think there's an audience, even when there's not an audience, and people are talking about how much they don't want to hear about it. So it's become this weird conversation. Um, and like, so picture a version of your story that's, is it stupid? Is it self-indulgent? Is it gross? Is it terrifying? All those types of stories are floating out there, waiting for your terrible story to join the party. <laughs> but more likely, your story is not perceived as cringy by the reader and your your reader, the reader you're looking for is out there waiting for your story so that it can spark a light in them and that they're not alone in the darkness. That's something I believe. For example, Sarah is weird too. <laughs> so I am okay. Uh, so at the least you could be an example for future cartoonists on what not to do. That's my goal. <laughs> it's like, I'll go down as a textbook example of how not to letter something. I would love to do that. Um, if not in a famous textbook, then in the bootleggers guide, I could show you how not to do stuff. But if you're feeling driven to do something and to tell a particular story, it must mean that there is some value in it but that value might not be what we think it is at first or match exactly what, what we want it to be. But that can be a good thing. Like, I think it's a lot bigger than we're giving ourselves credit for. So I don't think it's our job to judge um, what the audience wants to hear. And, and then I wrote, you're not a cover band at a wedding. You're Patti Smith howling into the night. <laughs> So, uh, and I don't even like Patty Smith that much. Like, I love her, but I like, I know people like really, really love her, but she's a great example because she like, she wasn't like, I hope people like my music. She's like, ah, <laughs> and she's amazing. You're not a cover band at a wedding. You're howling into the night, I wrote. Um, <clears throat> there was so much there, Jess. Um, and I wrote it down. Part of it was scripted because I was like, ah, okay, I'm good. so excited well, by Sarah's question. Well, We'll need that later. And Donna in the chat says the same thing. Everyone has an audience. You're you're not making something for everyone. You're making something for the audience who likes the kind of stuff you make and who's already looking for more of the kind of stuff you make. Well, that's interesting. More of the kind of stuff. Because sometimes, sometimes that that's interesting that to me that more word there. Cause sometimes we think like we're gonna reach somebody with this thing they've never seen before and it's totally new. Um but Donna's saying. No, they want more, <laughs> more of what they're they're already getting, and you just are part of that pipeline or something. I'm not really sure. Well, and there are, I think there are audience demands, but if if you can't go to a bakery and buy a screwdriver, like I'm the bakery, I'm not the tool store. Like I, I think you can be good at what you're good at and be as specific as you want to be. But that goes down to, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna share my bias as 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 somebody who doesn't. Um, shoot for the moon anymore when it comes to audience. I love your cookies analogy, right? You know, we bake cookies not not too concerned with is everybody going to eat them? And I forget exactly what you wrote. And like, you know, we do it because the act of baking cookies is nice and and the act of eating a couple of them is nice. And the act of sharing it with the handful of people that we'll share them with is really wonderful. And um, I agree that art can be the same thing. And um, that's why I, I encourage so many people to do diary comics these days or just small things. That's why some of our programs here at SAW, even the peer begun ones, like like uh, the Wednesday workshop, the um, that's why that works so well. Uh, 
that's where people get together and they do drawing prompts and then and then they call it a day and they just have this great time. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of joy. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times, sometimes what happens is, is we start to feel like, okay, but now I got to make a big thing that shatters the world and makes everybody really impressed with me or something. That's where that can get kind of troubling. But the sad thing is there are people who can do that, who, you know, if so-and-so gets the idea to make a 600 page graphic novel, that's going to blow everybody away. Eventually they do it, you know, somebody like. But, but I think also, yeah, like, like there are things that exist out there that are amazing where we read yeah. and we're like, how am I ever going to make anything that's that amazing? Or like, I love that so much. And my abilities are different <laughs> from what, what I'm experiencing this, this other piece of art in the world as but, um I, I think it's it's good to like look at a lot of different things that are good and bad and things that you like and things that you you don't like and and see uh just it's the things that exist out outside of your creative space are polished finished hard produced type of things that probably had more than one person on board so i think sometimes there's like this unfair comparison um but that is something that helped me with my graphic novel, like thinking, even if I make this badly, I don't think anyone else is going to make a graphic novel about veterans. Like no one's made it yet. I didn't see a book like mine out in the universe. So I was like, isn't that enough reason to make it? Even if I do the crappiest job, <laughs> like, uh, and then if anyone says, man, you did a really bad job. I'm like, where's yours? I didn't see yours. So I made one. Like, I mean, if you're not bringing cookies to the break room, you're going to have to eat mine. <laughs> so but, I don't know. But let's let's interrogate that a little bit. And I, and I admit I sometimes play devil's advocate a little too much. But but what if there were a handful of books like yours out there? Yours would still be valid, right? And it, yours would still be uniquely you. And I think it would be uniquely filtered through your your line of questioning and your your visual your visualization, because these are visual works. And um and your own personal story, you know, and so I think, yeah. I think there's validity to all of it. And there are other genres. I won't get specific, but there are other genres where there is a lot of overlap. I don't even mean I mean nonfiction genres, <clears throat> and um and the uniqueness. There's always something unique about the work, but again, we're I, I'm also talking about bookstore books, so I'd rather. And after this, I'll talk about mini comics and things. But go ahead, sorry. Even, even if like, uh, let's say there was a book that was very similar to mine existing in the world, uh, Interviews with Veterans, and it was a graphic novel even, because um, I do think books like that exist that aren't in graphic form, but let's say it came out, I'm still in the process of making mine, so mine's a product of its of the time it's made in itself, and, and the person who's making it, like I'm not enlisted, I'm like on the youngish side of the spectrum creeping towards the older side of the spectrum and I'm a lady like I, I have my own sensibilities so I, I do agree with what Tom's saying that um, you bring your own unique vision to the work itself and I think it's a good thing if there's a lot of books that kind of exist sort of like yours um, because then it's easier to pitch it to a publisher you're like look at all these fabulous books that are like mine but but they're not exactly like mine there's I'm doing something different here like they, it's just context. Like, I, I think it's good if there are things that exist that are like yours, so you can put it um, next to the other books on the bookshelf, I guess. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, again, uh, part of the focus right now that you and I are, are on is books and bookstores, right? And that, and that is a very 
specific series of variables. And you are going to run into, let's continue the idea of book a book like yours. You are going to run into publishers, if there were five or six books like that, where a publisher says, we already have a veteran's book. We don't need a veteran's book. You know, that definitely happens. I've seen it many times. You know, there are certain slots that publishers want to fill or can fill. And then when it gets filled, they don't they don't keep looking. Um, but again, I me personally, if it's about art and it's about the making of the thing and it's about the feelings about the making of the thing, I don't want to talk about big publishers at all. <laughs> like I want to talk about, I want to talk about the communities we exist in, you know, like we're so hyper-connected, right? You know, even 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have access to this many stories. Like if you were doing like, like, um, all right, Harry Potter is 20th, 21st century mostly. So let's look at Lord of the Rings. If you were doing Lord of the Rings fan fiction in the 1980s, you would share it with your high school friends or college. Um, you would go to a Lord of the Rings convention and you'd all love each other and you'd all share it and it'd be great and you'd feel great and you'd go home and you'd make another one. You wouldn't realize there are 10,000 other people doing it. <laughs> you'd think there were a couple dozen or a couple hundred and you'd be really happy to know them. But now we're so inundated with everybody's story and it's hard to push, it's hard to like, feel that as a flood and push back on it and be like, well, you know, I'm just one person. There's thousands of stories coming at me. What does my story matter? And then, and then you feel like Sarah does like, this is just, uh, th this doesn't matter. No one's going to want to read it. And I'm just going to feel cringy for actually telling what I feel. And that to me, the step we need to, at least for my particular disposition, I need to like block most every other most other stories right so like i don't you know i i don't go on social media i i i try and only read the books that like three or four people have told me to read you know it's like if enough people say read this book it's really good but otherwise i won't go see seeking them because i want to i want to save some space to be awed and to enjoy and even adore some of the work that comes my way from the people that that i'm really close to here in, at saw especially um, so anyway, that's what I'm trying to say is that to me, the, the inundation of stories makes feeling bad about our story pretty easy. <laughs> I like the idea of like intentionally being out of the loop too. Like part of me is just affirming my laziness, but I am like particularly ill-read, which is funny because I teach a class in real life on the graphic novel. And basically I trick my students into telling me what to put on the syllabus for the next semester. And then I read right. those. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are books like, okay, I should probably read XYZ because it's critically acclaimed. So I do try to read a little bit, but um, I'm really bad about just looking at the pictures in a graphic novel and being like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know I know what that is. But uh, but yeah, I, like, I feel like I make better work when I'm not reading anything and I'm not watching any movies or even listening to music. And I'm just like, what about this? And it, yeah. it can at least convince me that um, no one's ever had that weird idea before. I don't know if originality is necessarily the primary concern of um, an in, in, like an inner critic, like, oh, like, will this matter to an audience if it's never been said before or is particularly impressive? The, the other side of that is like, is this just gonna be so irritating or stupid or weird that no one wants to like it or no one will even give me the time to read it? And maybe they'll even like come after me <laughs> with weapons. Like maybe this could go really, really bad. I did kind of think that when I made the graphic novel, I was like, I can't interview every veteran ever. And these are really specific experiences. And I don't know if I'm even drawing these uniforms correctly. I thought for the longest time, Marines and 
um, people in the army had the same <laughs> outfits. Yeah. It's all just like, it's got pockets. It's a name tape. It's the same, right? Oh my goodness. When I first drew, like, uh, Tom and I worked on a, a book uh, about the Odyssey that was sort of uh, projected onto present day. And the, some of the main characters were Marines. And this is where I learned that the Marines hats are completely different. They have like actual points. But if you glanced at it really fast, you'd be like, that looks like the, the hats that they wear in the Air Force or the Army, the basic fatigues, but they're completely different. Anyway, the the field is was ripe for mistakes. <laughs> like I was like, there's no way I'm not going to screw this up. But then because it was so expansive, I was like, I'm just going to have to do it and do the weird wrong version because I do think it's important. And then the idea... Maybe I, it was a lie I told myself, but I was like, I think this is going to be valuable valuable to veterans or anybody who's like getting out of one situation and, and trying to reinvent themselves to, to do the rest of their life. Like they've just gotten out of a divorce, but most of the people that I interviewed had just gotten out of the military and talked about what they did next as, as integrating and as a civilian. And I kind of had a similar experience, not quite to that degree or those stakes, uh, getting out of college. <laughs> Right. The economy crashed in 2008. And I was like, I'm going to make uh, illustration and get a lot of money for that. And that's not what happened. But um, I, I think it was nice to just hear a similar story. So so sometimes when you chase after something specific, hopefully something universal is in there, too. So like I, I do think even though the graphic novel I worked on was for a particular type of veteran it was the ideal audience, I guess. I hope that anybody that read it might enjoy it and, and might get something out of it or think just be enlightened in some way. But um, yeah, I don't know if like you're responsible for like, like we don't have to write like satisfaction guaranteed <laughs> in front of our graphic novels. I don't know how responsible we are for that, but I do think it's good to have a conversation with yourself while you're making the work for like who you're most tender audiences like who who would be happy to hear from you who would be happy to get your letter in the mail um i want to go back to something you said in in all of that which is the um which is about the inner critic and originality originality not necessarily being like the purview of the inner critic like they don't necessarily want you to be super unique right because that's weird and you'd be an outcast but um but they want you so they 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 want you just like a little bit unique, right? Just unique unique enough to feel special, I guess. Yeah. And but I think I I mean I think the problem is, I, yeah I don't know that it that's a that's a tough one to to untangle because um you know I really feel that like belonging is one of the things we 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 strive for the most in the world I I, I think except some people who maybe strive for supremacy but I think most people strive for belonging. And um and so those those th those things you identify in the inner critic are um uh are very pronounced there right we're trying to belong to this group of people that share experiences or at least share beliefs and, and value systems and stuff and we want to contribute something of value so it needs to be a little bit unique right but I think the problem that what happens when when we're telling our story is we just start to think we're too we're we're not just a little bit unique we're totally weird and <laughs> and we don't belong right and so what do you do with that uh i'm trying to worried we're uh not unique but totally weird oh no uh i if i'm being honest i would say that's probably why 
interview people like the project I'm working on now um my husband writes it from the perspective of his lived experience as a, a nurse in the ICU so I'm like he's he I'm just I'm just drawing the pictures that's what he said and it was kind of the same thing with the veterans like oh I'll just interview them so I'm off the hook I don't have to tell my own story and um if they're lying <laughs> or their memory's not serving them as best as I think it is it's not my fault because like this is just oral history so um I think there was some avoidance of that uh being weird I was like I was like that's what that guy said it's it's like yeah, I didn't say it sure. <laughs> so but I also wonder like I, I've been working on a, an outline for a novel for a while and I've really had just a major struggle with even writing it and I wonder if that's part of it if I'm afraid it's it's too weird or I'm too weird yeah well I mean it's two things it's weird and also not good right yeah weird is not good right like smelly like mm, not good well but um but also like there's there there's the aesthetic value right I don't draw the right way I don't draw good um I don't know how do okay should we go down and the I list wonder why, well I like I wonder why not uh not being good is bad like why are we afraid of not being good well yeah again I think I think that's a major cultural shift that's happening where people are saying it doesn't matter just do it anyway yeah, yeah. which is different from the like evolutionary biology people that are like since the dawn of man people threw rocks at weirdos and don't do that otherwise the group will chase you from the cave and you will be out on your own so like there's validity to it i'm like why are we so afraid of it i'm not trying to discount it i'm just like why why am i so scared of my novel so i'm really asking <laughs> i have i have a thought about that too that maybe it's relevant why is just hang on let me type this why is just so scared of her novel the one thing again, I want to bring it back to the feelings. Um, I realized that one thing we're really worried about. I'm I certainly am speaking from firsthand experience is that um, the anxiety of everyday life, the the sort of like hustle to just sort of do my daily life, um, and how much I don't like it. Right, that frustration. That's like all of that equals frustration for me. But in some ways, that feeling is better than the feeling of knowing I have an hour of free time to do art, and then I do it badly. Hmm. Like, like that is a worse feeling than just the chronic frustration of my daily life. But the but the key word there, I think, is badly. Right? You know, I don't I don't need to be judging it. I'm judging it the wrong way if I'm spending an hour making art and I'm feeling bad about it. It's, um. And that's one reason I stopped making comics when I started taking. This is also hilarious. Like, okay, top secret info for uh, for our listeners and our attendees. Tom and I don't make art. We, we both like silently quit making drawings and we're like, this is how you get over it. And we're like quietly, uh, Tom's making music and I'm staring out the window. <laughs> but I'm like, it's not over till it's over. Maybe this is part of the process. So don't give up on us. Um, oh, for sure. And, and I don't, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but I will say that what I've been doing, like I've been teaching myself music for nine months or something. And what I've been doing, I, I can tell is training my brain to care less about the outcome and enjoy the process more. And when I go back into comics, which hopefully will happen soon, maybe, um, I'm, I, I, I've got, I think I've got my brain primed a little bit better to be like, this is just play. 
you know, and you've got skills and you've got ideas and you've got things like that that you've developed over time. But now you, it's okay to just sort of play with them and um, and let things come out. And um, for me personally, coming up with the idea beforehand and then like sort of executing it is the worst. Like there are people who do that. I just I heard a podcast with Dan Klaus where he said, and he's a great writer, but he said, I wish, I just wish somebody would just give me 500 pages of script to draw and I would just be happy to draw them. I'd be like, that's crazy. I look at one page of script I drew and I'm like, oh, why did I have myself draw a car axle on this panel? You know, <laughs> like, oh, what an idiot who wrote this, you know? So, um, so everybody's got to find the, the rhythm with that. And so I'm, I'm looking for that joy again. And that joy involves a little less, um, a little, a little less puffery about the idea beforehand. That's tricky when, because we get, we have a lot of memoirists here and that's, that's tricky because a lot of, when we're working on memoir, a lot of that is about like, I need to tell you what happened and here's the story. And so it is sort of put in stone in a way, you know, it is sort of identified early on and then you sort of have to work through it. So like, I think actually tackling some of these feelings in a memoir is a little bit different or a little bit just more, a little bit unique com compared to other kinds of, um, other kinds of art on the card. Yeah, totally. I just looked at my paper. I wrote, put pants on your ideas. <laughs> I don't, I don't have that paper. Uh. <laughs> I was just like preparing for the podcast. I was like, that's, that's the one. And and then I read it and I'm like, what am I saying? So you want to go down the, want to go down the list? I don't know if we want to go down the pants rabbit hole be, exactly. But, well, um, and also, like, we should be mindful of time. I don't think any podcast, anybody wants to be on this call. How long is our podcast? An hour? Less, I hope. But Less. All right. How about how about 45 minutes? That gives us three minutes. <laughs> what, really? Okay. <laughs> take a question on that list, and then we'll maybe take one question from the chat, if there are okay. any. There weren't okay, a lot. Okay, we had one from Beth, and I think Beth's on the call. Um, I love every part of making comics, which I was so excited to read. In the comic sense of things, in terms of the whole creative process, it's in the early stages of a project, wrangling some sense into the many, too, too many ideas I have that always frustrates me most. I always just want things to solidify faster so I can get to work. Order the parts of the process that feel more like work. Order the process parts of the process that feel like, you know, more solid, I guess. Um, I am not a patient person, <laughs> that said. That's that's interesting. Um, so, so Tom, you're kind of allergic to like having a grocery list that you have to execute in a yeah. really uh, rigid way. But if you have a lot of ideas, like how do you manage the um, anxiety of like putting some structure or armature on that so that you can make some type of progress? Or like, do you do that at all? I was answering a question in the chat. Can you say that again? Sure. Um, if you have too many ideas, does that bother you? And oh, I actually, oh, sorry. Okay. I do know Beth's question. Um, and um, I actually, I, 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 I came to a point where I realized like, I, I don't want to say I thrive in chaos, but I sort of like it, but that chaos. So that chaos of like trying to make things connect and organize ideas and having a lot of random ideas and playing around with them. Um, I think I was probably at my worst with that around 20, I don't know, 18 through 
20 or something like that, where I wasn't finishing anything. I had sketchbooks and they weren't really making me feel bad. I just kept just filling up junk with starters and stuff. But eventually I, I realized I had to identify what, what, why I was feeling lousy and it was because I wasn't finishing anything. So that's when I particularly ta started tackling smaller things, one page. And, um, and that started to feel good. It was like, oh, I can put a couple ideas together and, and let that chaos coalesce in a page, which took three or four days to make, and then take a deep breath and do it again. And so like that was a rhythm where I could build up into longer, slightly longer stories. And then I hit that. And then I sort of started doing 24 page stories. I built it up to that where I was like, okay, I'm going to take this chaos. And I actually like that chaos stage. Again, the, the stage that Beth is identifying as being frustrating. And then I would play around with it and I would sort of massage it into 24 pages and then work through it and finish it. And I would feel good about it. I hit that, I had a block. This is the block that propelled me into music. <laughs> I had a block when I did five of those. And then I outlined the next, the next seven issues. So an, another, what's seven times 24? I, I can't do it really, but another 150, 60 pages. And then I just was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so like, Again, it was that puffery too, right? It was like, these are great ideas. Now I just got to show the world and um, and it, it didn't work. I might, I, the feelings were too bad immediately. I was like, no, I'm going to, this is going to, this is not going to be pleasant. And if I'm not having a good time drawing it, no one's going to have a good time reading it. So I got to stop. And I didn't know what to do. So I started. <laughs> was there something about like the thumbnails where you're like, oh, that drawing is going to be hard to draw or the content was like too hard to sit with or like. How did you know it was going to be unpleasant? It is part of that. I have to admit that like, I'm not a good, I'm not, I'm not the artist my writer wishes he were, you know, my, the writer wishes he could hand the, the work off to somebody better than, than me. Um, but I also know that the artist can have, I also know that th there's a meeting ground between the two where they can each have fun or they can each have a sort of creative, rewarding creative experience. And it's just tricky to find that balance every once in a while. I have to re, re, recalibrate. This is why I outsourced my writing because <laughs> I was too scared. I was like, you'll write it. And then I was like, oh, this is fun. Uh, but even then uh, I have to negotiate with my artist. Like, I'm like, you're not very good at this. Uh, but how can we make this really, I, I invite myself to do what I feel could be the worst version in the thumbnails, like very noodly for lack of a better word. And for some reason that delights me. Soft, soft delight, not crazy, like not the, but I think there's something, there's something very like back of the classroom, tee hee hee, like fart joke about it. That's like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, how can I be mad? How can I be critical? It's already so demented. Oh, um, and that's... yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like the best way to work, but it's the only way I can make peace with um, um, like my inabilities as an artist is by like almost um, making fun of it or or leaning into it or um, this is a weird analogy, but there was one time I was very, very hungry and I had tater tots on a cookie sheet and they were stuck to the cookie sheet. I'd taken them out of the oven. They were ready to eat. And I had a little spatula that was way too small. I was trying to get them off the cookie sheet. <laughs> they kept flying off the cookie sheet onto the floor. 
And embarrassingly, I did this in front of a roommate. And she was like, whoa, but I I, um, I started taking the tater tots and throwing them on the ground. I was like, fine, I just, I don't even want these. Um, and she's like, wow, you're really hungry. You need to relax. Um, so maybe that's not the best way, but but it, I think in describing the the feeling, it was sort of like that. It's like, oh, if this isn't going to work, let me do the version that really, really doesn't work and then see that I survived and it's fine. And there's something about it that's funny to me. And we can only go up from here, right? <laughs> that was like a, a better uh, evolution. I think the initial thought was like, I'll do the bad version in the layouts and then I'll fix it later in the pencils. I think more I'm like, I'm committing to the bad version early so it doesn't surprise me when I get to the pencils or the inks. <laughs> it's already on the page. You're, co you're committing to the bad version, meaning you will stick by you'll stick by the bad decisions you made or what do you mean? Yeah. By that? Like I think sometimes when we're too vague with our preliminary plans, like oh, I'll just draw a stick figure and then it'll turn into like, uh, you know, a Da Vinci level artwork in, in later stages and the pencils or the inks or when I add color, it all makes sense. Uh, not putting that kind of pressure on myself, but just drawing something that's articulated. So I know where everything is, but also making it very silly. Like, making it wrong like intentionally i don't know what about it's wrong but um the heads are too big or there's no hands and then if there's no hands i'm like what if i do the hands like this like just exaggerating the badness of it like um but if it exists on paper then it becomes less scary it's like exposure therapy <laughs> like ah, it's bad but i am still alive does that make sense tom i don't know I think that... it makes total sense i think we should pick up the second the second episode of this tomorrow or, or whenever yeah. or next, next week. week yeah with that with like, with like starting with what's bad quote bad because we're going to put that in quotes and um uh and exaggerating it looking at exposure therapy great analogy um yeah yeah it's it's really it's really interesting i had a student at saw in the in the year-long program in person who had, you know, she brought me Lumberjanes and a bunch of other YA books. And she said, I really want to do this. And we kept, we kept um, working her over her, her, her pages to sort of like get a little bit more like that, a little bit more like that. And it wasn't, and, um, and she did a great job. She was, um, but it was always a struggle and her work never really got to that level. And it was only after she was gone, we're still in touch. So it's not like she, you know, <laughs> that it was hopeless and we never got a chance to speak, but it was only after she was gone. Like I was cleaning up and I was looking at the work. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And it is so not like what she was trying to do, but it, in itself, it's just this, this unique. And, and, and I, I felt regret as a teacher, I should have been like, let's push this more the stuff you're doing and strive for lumberjanes less, you know, and, um, and it's okay. Like, again, we're in touch and she's proud of that work now, but I, but I realized that I was so, even as a teacher, I was so lost in this, in the struggle to reach those ideals of hers as she was that, uh, that we didn't lean into the uniqueness of, of it. And, um, and man, that's all, you know, that's all we got. That's all most people got. I mean, you know, certain people can anyway, <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I, I feel like if, if uh, like greatness is sort of like something I'm working towards, but badness just already lives inside of me. I'm like, well, how can I make my badness? Like if it's going to stick around and it's hard to get rid of, how do I make it work for me? Like, 
since I know that it will be there, I could count on it to be bad. I, I think we should stop there, um, unless we somehow <laughs> missed a really, really important question. But you said great, like greatness is something I strive for. Yeah, but it's fleeting. Badness is already Maybe inside me. Badness yeah. is going to be there. Yeah. So we invite you this week to be bold, be bad, <laughs> be the worst person, be the worst version of yourself. Don't get arrested, but <laughs> right, not in that way, right? Not in the moral. Yeah, like just uh, like just to, in your art life. Yeah. I'd like to think you're morally gonna stay stay grounded, but it's definitely true that like you know play around with those bad marks or those or those bad um, ideas. Um, okay. So what's our call to arms? Do we have a hashtag? <laughs> a hashtag? Aside yeah, from I don't know. We have to give we have to give our uh, devoted audience something to choose sure well i think i think it is it is that it's like it's like identify in the same way that you're like oh i'm i drew a really bad hand so i'm going to draw it really bad this comment this this panel and then letting yourself do that panel after panel so it becomes a style right like not not always hands but it's just like oh there's that that relics and wonkiness sort of like in full flourish right <laughs> you know like find that thing that that you struggle with, exaggerated, I suppose, and um, and and see how you can make that a make that a communication device, right? This is what's really weird is when I did that and I gave myself permission to. I was like, I'm making the bad version. I'm fully committed to it. On the other side of that were gorgeous drawings, absolutely stunning. Like I just bloomed right off the page in the next version because they had given myself a sort of mm -hmm. this is the low watermark <laughs> this is where it ends and and it, it was like uh planting soil and stuff just started growing out of it it was the weirdest thing I've never had to happen not a guarantee though no but I <laughs> and it wasn't the reason I did it I was just like yeah well I'm just trying to cope with my own limitations so uh so join us next week on the terrible anvil where Tom and I discuss what is bad <laughs> and uh <laughs> How can I draw more of it out of me? Yeah, let's bring the badness to 2024. Uh, and we probably have a hashtag. You can invent one for us and tell us what it is. Uh, and we're available on the uh, flow part of the Mighty Network if you're on uh, Saw's Mighty Network. And uh, this will also be archived somewhere. Very clever. And we'll have a cooler intro with hopefully featuring Tom's music next, next time I see you. <laughs> All right. So Jess, I'll talk to you in a week. We can obviously uh, keep this conversation going in the network and stuff, but, um, and thanks everybody in the chat and for contributing to that. And we'll, that chat is saved and we'll, we'll provide that in, in the network too. And if anything we've missed, um, bring that up on the, in the network and we'll, we'll get to that next week. Um, Jess, thank you for, for starting this conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. It happened. Okay. I'll see everybody next week. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of the Sequential Artists Workshop, or SAW. You can find us on social media at Comics Workshop and online at sawcomics.org. You can hear about our many courses at learn.sawcomics.org. SAW is a nonprofit and supported by people like you. Learn how to make a tax-deductible donation at the donate page of sawcomics.org. You can join our free community of comics explorers at members.sawcomics.org. Thanks so much for being here.